there was a guy that actually lived down the street from me and he was exporting, you know, hundreds of turtles a year. He would call me up and he would ask me to come over to his house. And he's like, you got to tell me which ones are males, which ones are females, which ones are sick, which ones, which species. And I'd go over there and I'd, I'd go to count these turtles and there'd be some chick there. And he'd be like, oh, she's going to help you. That's Tammy. She's a hooker. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. A little bit later, she is dropping off snakes right now, so depending on how much traffic, she'll probably make it towards the tail end of the podcast but i figured i wanted to show off this shirt and it wasn't specifically for this guest it was just kind of happenstance but it all worked out so thank you Brittany and caleb of hope education for uh making these shirts and i'm glad to give them money to support everything that they're doing over there as far as port city pythons go portcitypythons.com we have like a few corn snakes available i feel like we're getting low um, we've been selling a lot at shows and we are, you know, kind of busy as far as uh, putting animals up on the website and I'm a little bit behind. So if you want to hit me up, if you see any projects that you know should be ready to go and you're like, what the hell's going on? Just hit me up. Unless it's Eastern Black King Snakes. Um, still not eating. 100% not eating. Good start. So working on that. I will keep you guys posted, though. I might start. I may have to assist feed start all of them which is going to be dreadful. Uh, mouse tails, rat tails, whatever. We'll, we'll make that work. But today's guest is Greg Brashear, and Greg is from Greg's Turtle Haven, and he is a field herper as well as he keeps turtles and tortoises. So, Greg, thank you so much for being here. What's up? <laughs> so I didn't know that you and Noah knew each other, and I just happened to book you guys like two weeks apart which oh, I just thought was weird. Yeah, yeah, that, that was funny because um, we were actually going herping, I think, that night that he was on with you guys. And he's like, oh, I'm doing this podcast. I'm like, oh, what? which one is it? And he was like, uh, from the ground up. And I was like, dude, I'm doing the same one in like two weeks. <laughs> and like, I was like, oh, we're totally mixing it up because like, it seems like you go herping like, or specifically look for turtles and you also work with turtles and know yeah. it like seems like he's doing West Texas stuff. Never did I think that somehow those worlds collided and you guys were literally out herping last night, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm fried. Cause I was, I was out during the day. I'm like sunburned. And then um, I hit up Noah and then he was like, yeah, I'm going to head up for uh, to this one area for pygmy rattlesnakes. I was like, dude, I'm down. You know, let's let's meet up. Let's let's cruise because I hadn't cruised for snakes all year. And honestly, this this year in Georgia has been pretty crappy. I mean, it's you know, you go and cruise for hours, and then you get like you know one brown snake or something, and you're just like you know, leave your dignity in the road and go home. <laughs> so uh, I I haven't done a lot of road cruising this year, and then um, so last night was the first that I've done in a while, and it was actually pretty good. I mean, we. Caught a couple cool snakes and got some photos and some video and then we headed on down for some turtles and that went good too yeah i saw you guys at least found a corn snake which is what caught my eye obviously on noah's yeah noah's and they're gorgeous up there too they're like north georgia mountain corn snakes and uh, 
the front part of the body is gold and then it tapers down to like a silver and then the saddles in the, in that locality, the saddles kind of get small and they almost look like an alterna or something. Whoa. Do you know what they look like as adults? Pretty much that. I mean, the, the babies actually, when you first, and I, I have it in my video, like you walk up to it and you're like, ah, oh, it's a rat snake. And then you get over it and you're like, no, that's a corn dude. Cause they start off almost just like black and white or black and gray. And then like a shed or two in, it seems like that, that orange starts to, to really pop out. So is it the same as it is most other places in the U.S. as far as um, your eastern rat snake is going to be more common than, say, your corn snake in Georgia? Yeah. Uh, Noah would probably know that a little bit better than me, um, just because I haven't done a lot of time in South Georgia. I know that we're around here, around the Atlanta area. Yeah, it's nine times out of ten it's going to be, you know, a black rat. Um, usually the only time it's a corn is when some redneck killed it thinking it was a copperhead and you're like, oh, the corn snake, there's like 10, you know? Yeah. So, um, but as you start to get kind of further away from Atlanta, you start to go east, you start to go west, you start to go north. Um, you do start to see corns in like little pockets and like little areas of, um, they like pine trees a lot. So you start to get that kind of, uh, scrubby tall grass and, you know, isolated pine trees. And they really like that. Sweet. So did you end up finding any rattlesnakes? Nah, not to, not to ruin the surprise, but no. <laughs> uh, so you guys were filming and you, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny cause we're both, we're both working on the YouTube thing. So yeah. um, he's, he does one and I do one and it, it's funny cause we'll be filming and he'll be doing his thing. Like, all right guys, we got this. And I'm like, hold my camera. Like, Should I just let him do it? You know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, is it nice, though, that, I mean, you get to at least bounce things off each other, or at least you both get to share in the experience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is it is actually kind of cool, because I think the last trip we did to Alabama, that was kind of like what we talked about in the car and talked about, like, you know, because sometimes you do feel a little bit goofy when you're like, hey, don't forget to hit the notification bell, you know? And so it does feel a little bit goofy doing that, but at the same time, it's like, who cares? It's fun, you know? You're when, when people actually see it and they're like, they're like, oh, this is cool. I live in, you know, um, Alamogordo, New Mexico or something. And they're like, I never get to see, you know, corn snakes. Or I never get to see, you know, striped mud turtles or, you know, whatever random thing, you know, one of us has that maybe somebody else doesn't get to see and then vice versa. If I watch like Noah's West Texas stuff, you know, I've been to West Texas, but not really for herping. And so I never get to see all that stuff. And it's also like a different brand of herping, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's totally, totally different method. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's like my comfort spot is being in the water, like waist deep and, you know, not really knowing what else is in there. But that's <laughs> that's just what I'm used to. Is that common for you guys to go at night or is that just a convenience thing for you? Uh, for me, it's it's more common to go at night just because especially here in the summer, it gets so hot. Like when you get around late July, pretty much all of August and then early September, it gets so hot here and then the water levels start to drop. Um, most stuff doesn't come out during the day. So you either have to get there at dawn and you have about an hour or you go at night and a lot of things, even stuff that's diurnal, like an active during the day, is going to be feeding at night and um, kind of moving around in the forepart of the evening after sunset. And then it's like once you're there, you know, for that part, then I might as well stay for the whole thing because then all the really cool stuff, you know, starts to come out, you know, after midnight, you start getting a little bit more musk turtles, 11 to, you know, 1231. 
And then after you go one, you get into, you know, big female soft shells. And then around 3 a.m., you know, you have the potential for, you know, big adult alligator snappers. Oh, cool. So you, I mean, at different parts of the night, you, you can see all types of different things. So we can keep you occupied yeah. the whole night. Yeah, yeah. And when those big guys are out, I mean, there's not a whole lot of other stuff that wants to be out. So cause they'll make a meal out of it. Oh, that's awesome. So how do you exactly manage finding them in the dark? Um, so obviously you've got, uh, you know, a headlamp and a flashlight. I mean, you look like a coal miner out there, but um, you basically are going along and I've looked for this kind of stuff, you know, long enough. I just kind of like, you know, you kind of are like, oh, okay, well, I can see that over here, this one came out from under a tree and there's a bunch of, you know, the, the bottom is all stirred up where it came out from underneath there. And then, you, or maybe over here you see like, um, especially here, we have a lot of mussels and clams. So you'll see those things just all smashed up and destroyed. And then like a pit dug in the ground where it dug it up. So, okay. It, it came out of here, stopped and ate there. It's working its way up. You know, you just kind of follow the the little bread trail to, to wherever they're at. Oh, sweet. So I, I had no idea the uh, method there. And are you having your do you have a, your camera with you or are you using like some yeah, GoPro yeah, proof? I've started bringing my camera less the more it's become how I make a living, you know, like bringing a, you know, $3,600 camera and a bag full of lenses that are like how you make your living. I, you know, my wife will remind me that's not very smart. Um, so I, I bring it sometimes. I brought it last night, but um, lately because I've been focusing on doing video, I just, I'll bring like, my phone, you know, the new iPhone's good. It like shoots like 4K and all that stuff. So I've been using that a lot. And then I have a GoPro that I use um, when it wants to work. And then um, every now and then I'll bring like, I have like two cameras for work. So I, I might bring the other one sometimes. Nice. So I want to kind of, uh, something I meant to ask before, but what prompted you to get into YouTube? Uh, so I've always done it. Like around 2003 or four, around the first, when YouTube first started, I started doing these like skate videos with my buddies and nobody was really posting a lot of skate stuff, like their own content on there. But I was working in television. So I was like uh, interning at Turner and um, I was working on music videos and, you know, kind of traveling around doing that and, and doing different TV stuff. So I kind of had that mindset in the back of my head. So I was like, I was like, dude, we could make like our own like, youtube show where we just go around the little towns and you know find whatever piece of crap they have to skate and make a, a clip out of it so we went around doing that and um it started kind of you know it was like oh whoa people are watching this you know so then i got into doing youtube like that and then um then around that time that was also when like uh record labels started getting pissed about people using music and I, I was just ripping whatever. I was like, Metallica, it's going in. You know, like uh, The Who, it's going in. You know, like music rights, what are those? Metallica in particular loves it. Yeah, yeah, band. yeah. Lars was the main guy. Like, he's like, no, you're not doing that. And so, like, yeah, so some of those videos, like, the way YouTube dealt with it back then was it was like, it was like, no, nah, these are gone now. Like, they just didn't exist after after that. So, so then I started doing just kind of like whatever stuff on YouTube. And then I started a skateboard company and started doing like little promotional things. So I, you know, you using YouTube so you could put it on Facebook or whatever. And then I started maybe two years ago, three years ago doing, you know, my hurt videos and like doing stuff with turtles and all that stuff, just cause I like doing it. 
and um, but not really like taking it serious. And then uh, three weeks ago, um, this guy Greg Woodstock, he owns this company Aquascape, and they go around, and they build these you know really nice ponds in people's yards and stuff. And um, they built a pond for my buddy Kenan, who does Camp Kenan. He has a channel on YouTube. And um, he invited, you know, him and a bunch of all these YouTube guys up there. And like, for what reason, me, because I'm like the alligator snapper guy, up to the Pondemonium event in Chicago. So I went up there and I'm surrounded by all these YouTube guys. And they're all running around with their like camera on a stick and stuff. And it, it, it's when you see like multiple people doing it, it's kind of silly, but it also looks kind of fun because I, I was talking to Ken and he was like, yeah, some of these guys are making like crazy money. He's like, and that's all they do. And um, so it was it was kind of fun watching what they did. And then um, Greg Woodstock had like a really cool talk uh, he was doing for, you know, these are all contractors that come to this thing that build ponds. And he was telling them, you know, for their businesses, like start a YouTube channel, just have fun with it, you know? And for whatever reason, like the way he said it and then talking with Ken and it was just like, say, like, yeah, oh, maybe I want to do one where I'd take it serious, you know, see where it goes in a year. You know, like I know it can get monetized. If it does, I just put it back into my animals and my setups and stuff. You know, I I make good enough money. I don't I don't care about YouTube. So right now I'm just kind of having fun, like you know, making the stuff and editing it and seeing if seeing if people like it, see if it helps people. Um, and then I also maybe down the road want to try and use it as um, a building block for getting some educational permits in the state of Georgia, because mm -hmm. Georgia has some kind of strict herp laws so there's a lot of stuff i'd like to get yeah, some you need energy. to get yourself a corn snake i know right like the essential that's like the first one too it's like the first one like when you ever you talk to somebody from georgia they're like oh yeah the herp laws man i can't have a corn you know and it, it's it's funny and they are the some of the best pet snakes i've had corn snakes before and they're awesome um so yeah that would be probably up there like educational corn snake and then <laughs> snake and you know because I really love uh, Pichuophis. I have bull snakes and stuff. Oh, really? So I don't know exactly what you keep on the private side. So what are you working with? Uh, you know, just uh, I have like a hypo bull. I have a Kankakee bull. And um, don't tell the hypo, but I like the Kankakee like so much. That's just such a cool snake. Um, if, I, if I could, I would just have 100 Kankakees and just stare at them all day. They're just, uh, they're so different from the other bulls. Like, uh, the way they're built is they're built almost a little pine snakey. They don't have that mm. loaf of bread square shape. They kind of have that almost like an A kind of slouchy shape like a pine has. Um, I And I just, I like their personality. I used to have black pines back in the early 2000s. I had black pines and all that stuff. And um, I love those snakes. And for whatever reason, I, I got out of them. And, you know, then a few years later, they're like, <laughs> this was before they were, you know, federally regulated. Yeah, so then it because my thought was, if I ever want to get back into them, I'm like, oh, they're easy to get. Not a big deal. They're like a hundred yeah. bucks. Kingsnake.com, you know, like be yeah. at my house the next day. Yeah, I didn't like that no more. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, I, I really like Pitchophis. I like king snakes a lot. Um, but if I, if you're gonna make me pick between the two, I'll pick pits. Well, I can go. I don't find mean. I don't mean to start like a frenzy and have people buying up uh, like Southern pines and Florida pines. Mm -hmm. But I think those are probably going to be uh, listed next. I mean, it's always Likely. possible. Yeah. It's yeah. The, the thing that sucks for pine snakes is there's just not that much of that habitat that they like left. You know, it's like every, you know, 
they're either going to build a neighborhood or they're going to build an old Navy and a target, or they're going to build, um, agricultural stuff on top of it. Um, they like those, uh, pocket gophers. There ain't a hell of a lot of those left. Um, so, you know, you're running out of stuff to eat, running out of places to live, you know, your other choice is just to get run over. So there's, it, it kind of sucks. Um, because yeah, if you're, if you're on the private side and you, you really like those snakes and you appreciate them. And there's captive born and bred individuals hanging out, exactly. but you still may not be able to get your, your hands on them. Yeah. Yeah. In the state of Georgia, I, for Northerns or Floridas, um, you've got to have a, some kind of educational permit. Um, and then for Louisiana's blacks, um, you just have to hope, hope there's a guy at the show that's not selling them for, you know, your liver or something. <laughs> Right. So those are, um, I don't know, just amazing animals, but it's like, I think it's something like 6% of the original longleaf pine forest exists in the United States. So like yeah. their habitat, it's so fragmented and like what is left is super fragmented. So. Yeah, it is. And you know, I've been to, uh, I've been to some areas where there's old growth longleaf pine out here, actually close to my house. I actually live in a city in a county where there's a good population of northern pines and seeing the habitat they live in is very funny because it looks it, you know it's like kind of mountain meets deciduous you know trees but there's longleaf pines and they're these gigantic they don't even look like a longleaf pine you see in south georgia but then you go to south georgia and you see the the longleaf pine habitat down there and it's flat it's sandy you know and you're like how is this basically the same snakes and the habitat looks completely different, you know, and um, they persist. Um, I think that I think there's more of them than people give them credit for. But anytime you have something secretive, you know, pine snake, alligator snapper, you know, when they're secretive and they spend most of their time, you know, buried up under something and you can't physically see it, you can't really trap them efficiently, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, every now and then you might, I know these guys are trapping pine snakes out here, you know, close to where I live and, um, they have a hard time getting them in that damn box. You know, I, I think it's probably hard to trap a snake anyway, but yeah. Yeah. There's, there's not many ways to, uh, get a snake to do what you want, unfortunately. Yeah. I know. But, uh, follow, follow this little tunnel into a box. Snakes like, yeah. Yeah, you just got to try to, I, I mean, I guess, are they just like picking any hole and hoping the, for the best? Or do they have a well, hunch? How does that work? Uh, and I, I don't run this or, or do this, but from seeing them out at the WMAs, it basically, they're picking an area that they know the snake moves at, where they've seen them and all that. And they basically, um, you set up like a wall. And so the snake will hit this wall and then move along it. And then in the middle of that wall is like a, a box and it got some mesh and it kind of comes to a cone so that once they go through they theoretically can't get back out and it, it does get you know they get like scarlet kings in there and king snakes and hog nose and all that stuff um pretty much everything but a pine will go in there <laughs> right yeah so sorry that uh we went in the direction of snakes for no no for I, I, I i grew up loving snakes i can talk snakes uh, do you have any other besides pits or you said king snakes as well? Uh, yeah, uh, right now, just bull snakes. Um, okay. My wife isn't a big fan of snakes. She's from Thailand, so like snakes kill people where she's from. So they're not her favorite thing in the world. She, 
she's not thrilled that I have bull snakes. She kind of avoids them. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, when I met her, I actually had like reticulated pythons and dumerals boas. And I, I had all these giant snakes. Mm-hmm. And um, then we had a, a really bad freeze that year and everything got a respiratory infection. It was dead in like a few days. So after that, I was kind of, um, I was kind of like, well, I'm just going to focus on turtles and tortoises. And I was kind of playing around with the idea of, you know, being a turtle farmer. And uh, it, that ended up just not happening. And I just, you know, I, I appreciate them for what they are. And um, I don't really try to sell them for, for any reason. But uh, I, there was a guy that actually lived down the street from me. And he was exporting, you know, hundreds of turtles a year. He would call me up and he would ask me to come over to his house. And he's like, you got to tell me which ones are males, which ones are females, which ones are sick, which ones, which species. And I'd go over there and I'd, I'd go to count these turtles and there'd be some chick there. And he'd be like, oh, she's going to help you. That's Tammy. She's a hooker. <laughs> what? And yeah. So he'd have like this hooker helping me count turtles and he'd be like yelling at her, telling her to take her top off and stuff. I'm just like, dude, just let me just count, you know, and he so you'd have a lot of turtles and the, the thing was, is he was getting them, you know, these guys would catch them and he'd buy them and bring them in. These guys would catch them and he'd buy them and bring them in and he'd have a whole bunch of them. And this guy couldn't really move a lot. He was like super overweight, super old, bad health. He was just, uh, he was just literally sit at his computer and set up the deals. And so he would pay me to sex turtles, do health check, any, anything that he couldn't sell, you take it. So at one point, I, his big thing was musk turtles, and I ended up with a lot of musk turtles. And they were like, they're one of my favorites. So it didn't bother me. I knew how to take care of them. But um, the biggest problem was is he built like a rack system. So it was like three or four tiers. And then it all went through like one big filtration unit with one of those huge water tanks. So the problem was is he was running the water from all these turtles that had come from all these different places. Oh, no. One guy was sick. It went to all of them. So, you know, I like I've probably got over 100 turtles from him over the course of uh, two or three years of him doing that. And, you know, I think by the time it was all said and done, maybe 20 lived mm-hmm. at, at the most. Wow. Um, and at this point, I think I still have maybe 10 I, I, hang, I hung on to. Um, what I could find out where it was originally from, I, you know, might have tried to release. But with them being sick, I didn't really try to do anything other than just find people that like them and want to give them a good home. And that was kind of, that was kind of what left a bad taste in my mouth with uh, selling, you know, turtles and tortoises was uh, kind of the demand was, I, and I don't know, I mean, you guys sell snakes. I don't know if the demand is the way with snakes that it is with turtles, but you know, these Asian guys will hit you up and be like, okay, I like them 600. I want 600 of them. You're like, what? You know, they're not beans. Yeah. So I don't know if it, I don't know if they do that with snakes, but um, they do that now with with corn snakes. But it's I I feel like it's in a little bit more of a respectful way. I feel like the turtles and tortoises, unfortunately, I feel like are the most uh, like exploited animals they, in our hobby uh, between cicadas and the the amount of turtles that I see on tables, you know, at reptile shows. You know, they're in bins and there's like. 50 of them for $20 each type of thing. Yeah. And they're all like waiting around in each other's shit and stuff. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the other thing is that's kind of another thing I saw where I was kind of like, oh, do I, 
want to be a part of this? Is there, you know, in the beginning I started off like, well, maybe there's a way I can change this, but it's kind of hard to, to be the guy to show up and be like, you know, try and fix things. You know, I mean, there's, mm. there's people that are doing it right. The problem is, is they're not a lot of times the people that are at the forefront or the people doing the most business. You or know, the they're just not are, able to, if you do the right thing, you're naturally going to do less numbers and you're naturally going to have to charge a higher price and people are just going to go for the lower price at the end of the day. Most of your normal consumers, but yeah. Yeah. And the big thing with turtles is 90% of the buyers are from Asia and they want anything and everything. They'll buy it all. They'll offer whatever. I mean, I'll post a photo on Instagram um, of like a big adult, you know, male alligator snapper. And when they get, you know, really old, they get yellow. So they have this cool color to them. And, uh, you know, I'll get a guy from Hong Kong or something and he'll message me and he'll be like, how much? And I'll be like, it's not for sale, man. It's a protected turtle. I caught it and released it. Where at? I'm not going to tell you. And I remember this guy, like, I, I still like, I like to hunt the guy on Instagram. Like I never let him forget. But like he one time told me, he was like, he's like, I'll find out. I was like, what is that? Is that like some crusty threat? Like, you know, you're going to come find out where this turtle was, but they're, they're like that. And they they offer you $8,000 or $10,000. I mean, you could go to the reptile show. We were just at alligator snappers were 40 bucks each. Yeah. Well, these guys, they want the ones from Georgia and Florida after the species split. So, oh, so can you explain? Because I'm ignorant of all of that. So yeah. Okay. So, um, so back in 2014, there was, um, I think it was a one-year um, scientific thing where they went through and they looked at all the different river drainages, and then they looked at the genetics. They looked at the physical build of the turtles and the different river drainages. And so, going from uh, like starting in Texas at like the Trinity River. And then you start to work your way east into the Mississippi, and then you get into um, Pearl, Pascagoula, then you get into Mobile Drainage, and then you get into uh, Apalachicola, and then you get into Sewanee. So all those that are uh, west of the Apalachicola drainage are considered western alligator snappers. Um, and they're the, the typical ones you see it shows, Macroachilles tominkii. Um, and they're the ones that have been bred the most because what happened is, is um, a lot of guys went during the 80s and the 90s and even the early part of the 2000s when there was still commercial trade, you could go in Louisiana and you could buy. You could just buy them on the street market because they were going to be made into soup. So a lot of those guys went, they commercially trapped them or they went to those markets and they bought those adults and they started farming them. So the bulk of them came from Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, East Texas. So when you see your average alligator snapper for sale, you know, on a table at a show, odds are they came from, you know, one of maybe three or four farms in the U.S. And nine times out of ten, they're westerns. Um, and then when you go towards the central area, the Apalachicola uh, comes down through Georgia, and then uh, another river separates Georgia and Alabama. That's the Chattahoochee. So the Flint and the Chattahoochee meet in Georgia. And then where they meet is on the Florida border. And then it becomes the Apalachicola River. So all those turtles are, were considered the Apalachicola alligator snapping turtle. And physically, they're a little different. Um, me having looked at a lot of them over the course of a lifetime, uh, the Apalachicolas are kind of, they're not as big they don't have like as many size records of like really big turtles i mean there is you know a, 
Um, I think a record for a 300 pounder, but there was no photo or anything to prove it. But overall, from my experience, from what I've seen, their shells a little bit narrower. If you look down on the top of it, they're more compact build in terms of their body. They have short little muscular legs and then they, they get really big heads like a loggerhead musk turtle because as adults, they go from using the lure as a baby and they gradually start to get into eating crayfish and then they get a little bit bigger. They start eating little clams and snails. Then the adults, 90% of their diet is these, these big washboard muscles and then uh, little corbicula invasive clams. And um, when you catch these turtles, well, a lot of the times when we find them, they're face down. So they don't even know you're walking up on them because they're just digging on the bottom. They're just mm. smashing those things up. So, and then um, the other species after that was the Suwannee. And then those are in South Georgia and North Florida. And so those are supposed to be the most genetically distinct. I mean, they have a physically different head. They have a different shaped shell. They have um, a lot of the same behaviors. They're more similar to the Apalachicolas in terms of their behavior and their diet and all that stuff. Um, but so once those two were separate from the, the Westerns, those are what the, the turtle collectors really wanted in that. I remember there was a period right after that, like 2015, 2016, like um, my buddy Grover might even uh, back me up on this, that there were guys just sending out these emails like, can you get these? You know, we'll pay $8,000 each for 40 pound adults. And I was like, what? I remember forwarding them to the, to the DNR and just being like, yo, this, this guy's asking for some sketchy stuff. Well, yeah, see, we don't have that. The, the Asian buyers that I'm talking about is a totally different thing. That's uh, yeah, that's super sketchy. Um, it, it is. And it, I mean, there was, there was a period of time where it was almost unbearable. I mean, it was like, you'd get online, there'd be a guy asking for alligator snappers or then you'd get a DM of another guy asking for map turtles, you know, because all they're doing is they're looking at uh, Instagram or iNaturalist or all this stuff. And they're like, Oh, this guy found this here. Okay. Da, da, da. You know, trying to reach out to you and wave money in your face and stuff. And then, I mean, it's, it's been a while since any of that's happened. And I don't know if it's cause I'm such a dick when they do it or if it's, I think that's kind of chilling out because a lot of people are getting busted and stuff. Um, there was a guy a couple of weeks ago here got busted for having a thousand traps on one lake. Whoa. Yeah. I know a guy just got busted in New Jersey for uh, diamondback terrapins. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think every state they're in takes those pretty seriously because that, that's another turtle that is pretty rapidly losing places to live. And it's um, like, why, man? Just why? Yeah. I'm sure there's people captive breeding them. There are. Um, there's a lot of people captive breeding them for, uh, I guess they call it the uh, concentric pattern. Like that, people breed them similar to snakes. They'll breed them for pattern or for appearance. Um, and the like, one of the more favored is like the thicker spots and a you know uh, more contrasty and, and all that. And I just don't know if that involves mixing subspecies. So like, if you're wanting to get into you know breeding them for conservation. You know, people are going to be looking at like, okay, well, where were they from? Where were the parents from? And, you know. And typically hybridization to a certain extent is going to give you the best looking animals. It's going to give you crazy results, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I've seen them. I've, I've been to shows and stuff and I've seen those diamondback terrapins. I just like, I just stare at them. I'm like, man, that thing's crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a, just an amazing animal in every way, naturally and 
whatever the hell they're doing in captivity. And they're so smart too. They're like they're like little puppies. Really? Do yeah. you have any? Or have no, any? I've never had any, but um, I, I know a lot of people that have, and I know people at the uh, Atlanta Zoo and all that stuff. They have a program there, um, and I know a lot of buddies. I, I have buddies all over the U.S. that keep turtles, and I know a few that have done diamondback terrapins and. I know a lot of people keep a lot of turtles and then they get diamondback terrapins and all of a sudden that's all that they keep. So, I mean, that, that I feel like that tells you something about them being, you know, a good, a good turtle to keep. Do you have to keep them brackish? So my understanding is if you get them as hatchlings and you get them in freshwater, they'll adapt to freshwater. Mm. Um, it's, and that, and obviously if you're doing captive breeding, then that shouldn't be an issue. Um, I think the people that are getting like wild caught ones, I think that's when they're having a hard time, like getting them off of brackish, but I don't, I don't even know if you're, if there's anywhere collecting is legal of those anymore, but yeah. So if you're trying to watch out for that and a guy's trying to sell you some brackish diamondback terrapins, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are just sketchy, but, um, as far as what you keep, are you keeping outside at all there? Yeah. So other than I have like a little aquarium right here in my office, uh, everything's outside. So, uh, musk turtles, mud turtles, cooters, sliders, soft shells, uh, snappers. Um, and then all my tortoises, everything's outside. And, um, i when, when I bought this house, it was like, you know, I'm, you know, you're looking through like Trulia and Zillow and I'm just like skipping the house and going to the yard. Like, for oh, me, it's like detached garage, detached garage, your finished basement. Yeah, yeah. For you, it's and, like pond or just space. Yeah, yeah. I was I was like, my, my original thing was, is like, I need five acres. And then I went and looked at a place that was two, and I was like, I don't know what I'd do with all this, you know? And then um, land in Atlanta isn't cheap either. And it was like, you know, my wife wanted to be close to work. I, being as, you know, doing weddings and stuff, I have to kind of be all over Atlanta, so I didn't want to be, you know, driving an hour and a half just to get into town. So uh, where we ended up getting was a pretty good split. And it's a little over a half acre, which is plenty. I remember I got this uh, adult sulcutta when I moved here. And I was like, I'll never have to mow the lawn again. And it's, it's too much for him. So uh, it's, it's a good deal. And I basically get up every day and um, kind of walk around the yard and check on everybody. And I'm always looking at what I can work on or what I can add and stuff like that. So I saw on like your Instagram, particularly in your bio, it says, you know, setting up naturalistic environments for these animals. So it's, what does that mean exactly for you? And what does that mean for each species that you keep? Uh, so I, growing up as a kid, yeah, I kept turtles in aquariums and stuff like that. And I noticed that you're going to run into more headache trying to do that and trying to keep that water clean and uh keep them kind of happy because turtles have a hard time with glass they just don't register that it's there so like you know if you've ever had a turtle in a tank what is you know they're like oh, every oh, red deer oh, oh. spider you've ever seen at yeah anywhere. yeah and, and they'll do it all day just oh. and so um i my dad growing up he had an eastern box turtles and they had like a big fenced in yard and I don't, I don't even remember how old I was, but I started getting some tubs and putting them on my parents' patio and, and moving my turtles into that. And then um, 
I was skating with one of my buddies and I found this old pond liner from like where this elementary school, I guess they'd had a, a, a little thing for the kids to build a pond and then they were over it. So they threw it in the woods. So I stole it and I brought it back and I built a turtle pond with it. And I remember just all my turtles. It was, it was just like a night and day difference. They're just, you get new behaviors that you never see in an aquarium or inside and um, letting them go through the seasons. You get better growth, you get better health. Um, it just, I, as soon as I did that, I was like, this is the way to do it. They're just, you know, they're so much happier outside. Um, I mean, I know a lot of people doing aquariums and doing, you know, some really awesome stuff with that. Um, but just for me, if I had the ability where I live to keep them outside year round and let them live like as naturally as I can, uh, I'm going to do that. You know, they seem so much happier. Yeah. If you, if you are keeping inside, I mean, I've seen people keep those like those black like feeding troughs, I guess they would be or something yeah. like that. I mean, are those passable? No. Yeah. Those are what I use. I, one of my last videos I posted was me going and buying one of those. I'm like, we're going to set up a snapping turtle in this. And so I go to tractor supply and I buy one of those and you know, as long as you clean it up and everything, they're perfect because they're a visual barrier because they're not glass. So the turtle stays pretty calm in there. Um, they, they have a little drain plug. So like when you do need to clean them out, pull that plug out, clean it all out, fill it back up. Um, I don't do a lot of water changes. That's another thing is like, I think water changes are another enemy that people don't really realize because when you're bombarding them with hard water, that's been chlorinated, even if you run some dechlorinator through there, the water coming through your pipes is way harder than any pond or any natural environment. That's why like you see ready at slider, you'll see like skin peeling off and sometimes their shell will have that like weird oxidized look and that's all from hard water. Mm. So a lot of my stuff has plants in it. It has multi layers to the bottom. So I'll have sand and gravel, maybe a little peat in there. And then like when the plants, uh, like a water hyacinth kind of sheds off a layer, you know, all that stuff goes to the bottom and it kind of creates a cycle. Um, and with soft shells, especially they need to dig into that. There's like a microbacteria, you know, environment down there that keeps their shell clean and keeps them healthy. Um, so I, I don't do a lot of water changes, but I do use those to answer your question. I do use those troughs. Uh, I swear by them. I think they're awesome. Yeah, I guess, uh, especially for snake keepers, we had for at least a very long time make sure everything was super sterile and super clean. So it seems like uh, the opposite would be in, in play there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, yeah, it is funny because I do have snakes. So like um, with my turtles, I don't have to do a whole lot of upkeep. But with the bull snakes, it's like every day you got to go downstairs because somebody decided to throw shit. You over in particular, yeah. 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 <laughs> what kind of party were you having? You know? Um, so, yeah, it, it is funny. Uh, there are certain turtles that are more work than others. You know, like your map turtles, you might want to watch your water quality. Like I said, soft shells. Once the thing with soft shells is, though, is once that bottom is right, they just need to be able to bury into it and they'll be fine. Uh, map turtles can be sensitive to water quality. Um, some of the, some of the Asian stuff, um, is a little sensitive too. And then you've got like yellow mud turtles where, you know, if you, if you put them in clean water, they'll die. But if you never change their water and it's disgusting, they'll do better than ever. Really? Is there, is there any consideration to take in as far as uh, giving them shade or sun or yeah. how does that work? So, yeah. So the first year of living 
here, I didn't know the path of the sun. And, you know, throughout the, the year, the path of the sun is going to kind of move a little bit. So when I set up some of my first setups, I was like, oh, okay, so they'll get sun during the winter. And then winter came and I was like watching the sun go by and never hit yeah. where, I'd, where I'd originally put this one pond. So I felt bad for them because they were like cold. And, you know, even though it might have hit 55, 60 degrees, it was so cold that night. They just stayed at the bottom the whole time. So kind of looking at that, I like once once I'd been here for a year and watched the path of the sun and where it hits, where it doesn't hit. Um, and in the summer where it's getting super hot, for example, like this time of year, it's. I mean, I can't even go into the back porch sometimes. It's so brutal just because uh, my back porch faces where the sun comes and it's like a clear cut, you know, like going down my backyard. So the sun's just like literally like just like a laser just coming up the middle of the backyard. So um, I do like a lot. I plant like a lot of uh, broadleaf plants. Um, I do have like uh, this like little patio cover thing. And then every single habitat has a place to hide or a place to get away from uh, sun or predators or, you know, me. <laughs> right. Is there, a, as far as water temperature, I mean, are there temps that you're shooting for or is it pretty, uh, most of the stuff I keep, I don't really have to worry about that. I, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I, w I would say I'm lucky, but I kind of picked on purpose to not have to worry about water temperature with some of my stuff. But, uh, the only turtles I have that are sensitive to that would be the striped neck musk turtles because they live in like trout streams so their setup has to be in shade all day so because you know some turtles the water is 80 degrees and they love it um if you put a striped neck musk turtle in 80 degrees they're gonna start getting really bad really quick so uh i got a buddy that lives in maine and he has some and he keeps them in his basement in maine on the you know the cold concrete floor and they do great Mm. so yeah is that something to wear i mean people up here i mean i'm in i'm in pennsylvania so if, if people are looking to keep up here i mean are there a particular species that you can keep out you know outside all year round where you live yeah. yeah yeah absolutely there's there's a lot of stuff i mean your average red-eared slider river cooter soft shell snapper i mean i could give you a big list of stuff that would do fine up there well, how does, I guess, a better question would be, how exactly does turtle brumation work? Um, the best way to do it is to give them just what they need to do it, which is pretty straightforward. So, like, uh, let's say you were in Pennsylvania and you were going to keep a red-eared slider outside. So we'll do an aquatic first. Um, you'll probably want your pond to be three, three and a half feet deep minimum. If you had like a four or five foot deep end, that'd be great. And you recirculate your water. So your water is moving so that when it does freeze, because it's going to freeze at some point, um, it's at least moving. And then what you want to have is some kind of substrate on the bottom. And then what I've figured out over time is the best thing is when those leaves fall in the fall, just let them stack up in there. They're going to get thick on the bottom. But what's going to happen is, is they're going to insulate that turtle when it goes into the bottom. And as those temperatures come down, they're going to slow their heartbeat down. They're not going to come up for air. They're going to just kind of basically breathe through their butthole. There's a thin skin in the lining of the cloaca, and they'll just absorb oxygen through that. They'll kind of pump their throat a little bit, absorb some through there. Um, and, I mean, literally just once they're down there and they're down, just leave them be, and that's all you got to do. I mean, it's 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 scary the first couple times. Um, 
I have some really nice map turtles. And the first time I left them out over winter, I was like, kind of like I'd open up the door and I'd see like, you know, here we get a thin layer of ice, but I'd still be, you know, kind of looking at them and like nervous. Then we'd have a day, you know, the next day, almost 70 degrees, maybe up basking. And you just have to trust that they know what they're doing. Um, so for an aquatic, if I were you, I would just make sure you have something that's at least sank into the ground, you know, three feet, they should be fine. Um, for, let's say you had a box turtle, um, or a wood turtle or something like that. I mean, those are both probably protected in Pennsylvania, but yeah, that, illegal. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So let, <laughs> let's, let's pretend you had a permit or something, yeah. but, uh, a terrestrial type turtle like that. And you would just want to, what I do is I'd create a big berm of just mulch. And I'll, I'll also like when I rake my yard or I get leaves, just throw all that stuff in there. You're just going to throw all that stuff in there. And what's going to happen is especially mulch. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen mulch in the wintertime, but there's steam coming off of it. Mm -hmm. so they're actually going to dig into there and they'll just spend all the winter just buried into that mulch. And you literally just, just leave them be, you know, like maybe make sure they have some water if you get a warm day and they want to come out. Um, there's a guy and his wife uh, I follow on YouTube and they were uh, backyard tortoise, I think is who they were. And they were in Pennsylvania and they kept most of their stuff outside. And um, it's, it was cool to watch because, you know, being here, it's, it's not as far north as there, but we do get um, some pretty bad swings. I mean, it, with us, it's, it could be 60 degrees and then it'll get 14 overnight and then the next day it's 60 again. So it's like that sharp up and down is what's really hard. Mm. Um, so watching somebody from Pennsylvania kind of go through the same stuff and, and I watched it, it's like, okay, well, they're fine. I'm fine. So like, it, you know, turtles are pretty resilient. Yeah. Now, are you in the ponds for the aquatics? Are you adding any fish in there or anything else in there? Yeah, I have dumb fish, though. Like, I don't have anything fancy. Um, I I have, like, uh, mosquito fish. I put mollies in there, but I was, like I said, I, I have dumb fish, so I bought a gar. So when I put mollies in there, he was like, oh, these are delicious and sweet. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So he ate all of my mollies. And so I have like mosquito fish that he picks off from time to time. Um, and then I bought two plecos that were like that big uh, a little over a month ago. And now they're that big. They're like pretty big now. They're about a foot long now. Um, so I, I have two plecos I'd like to get rid of. <laughs> I'm probably just going to move them. Um, I have a big waterland tub. It's like a 300 gallon tub with like a land area. So I'm probably going to move one of the plecos over to that. Um, Cause I do think they're cool. I like watching them move around and, and stuff, but do those survive winter. Guess we'll find out. <laughs> I, I'll probably move at least one to an aquarium and just do it as an experiment. Cause I'm this year I am going to drop like a heater into my pond. Um, I just want to do it at 70 degrees. If I can get close to 70, I think everything will be fine and overwinter fine. Um, just because I've never ran a heater before. So I just want to see, you know, how that goes. Right. And what would you use to heat that? I mean, you would probably need something more than just your regular aquarium heater, right? Yeah, there was a, uh, there was this lady I met and she was selling a stock tank with a stock tank heater. So apparently that's a thing. So, uh, um, like fisheries, is that what they would use it for? Or I don't know. I, my understanding is it was for heating up water in stock tanks for horses and cattle. Ah. If if that's a thing. 
I mean, it, it, she was selling a stock tank with that heater and everything is like a package. Uh, problem was she wasn't realistic about what, how, what she wanted to sell it for. Um, and I, I ended up not getting it, but it did kind of make me curious about it. So sometime in October, November, when it starts to cool off, I'll, I'll start looking at it. And if I don't run heat in there, it'll, everything will be just fine too. It's kind of more me just playing around. Right. Then what are you feeding uh, your turtles? Um, so I'm not a big fan of pellets. Um, as somebody that I, I get a lot of rehomes. Um, at one point, the Georgia Reptile Society was given my phone number, and then they gave it to everybody that needed a new home for their turtles. So in the course of one year, I amassed like a huge number of cooters because I won't take in sliders. I, have, I literally have a yellow-bellied slider that I use for videos and education. I have a red-eared slider for videos and education because sliders just in a social environment are just dicks. And so like, I, you know, I like having my cooters together and they all get along pretty peacefully and everything. So uh, I had a lot of people needed homes for river cooters last year. So that's a bulk of what's in my ponds. Um, and pellets don't really work well with them. They'll start to get um, odd shells from all the protein in there. So I feed, you know, duckweed, water hyacinth, water lettuce, uh, green leaf lettuce, romaine, uh, collard greens. I mean, I try to feed them as much natural stuff as I can. And then I also do freeze dried krill from the Asian market. I do shrimp from the Asian market. I do uh, crayfish when those are available. Um, you know, so all my turtles are getting natural food items as a bulk of their diet. And then pellets are like a supplement. So I, I kind of do it the reverse, like a lot of people do it the other way, like mostly pellets and then the other stuff. Right. Is there any type of percentage of whatever prey item goes to what? Or Yeah, yeah. So uh, for like my Mexican giant musk, they're a mollusk specialist. So most of his diet is snails and clams and crayfish. So that's most of what he gets. But every now and then I'll give him um, a chopped piece of fish. I'll give him, he'll eat. All my all my setups have plants in them, so when they want to eat vegetation, it's there for them. And then there's like little dragonfly larvae. Um, there's some really dumb frogs that get in there, and so you know sometimes they'll pick that stuff off too. Um, so with him, he gets that. Uh, musk turtles are getting mostly snails, clams, uh, little uh, crustaceans, and then uh, for the tortoises, uh, the sulcutas are. A, like a grassland tortoise so the sulcutta and the russians are mostly you know just feeding on grass and whatever greens i give them and then i have a yellowfoot tortoise and an asian mountain and an elongated and they're more of a forest tortoise so they're going to find like pieces of fruit that fall off the tree or they're going to eat like a dead animal so you can have like a little more leeway with feeding them fruits or meat or uh, they'll eat worms they're kind of like a box turtle they'll kind of dig up stuff and and, and they're more omnivorous than like a sulcata. They're a sulcata stomach is basically like a cow. You know, you can't, you can't shove a whole lot of fruit through there without screwing them up. So. Gotcha. And do you have any like issues with humidity or anything like that with your tortoises? Uh, I don't hear it. It's for the most part, it's humid enough here that they do well. Um, and it's not so humid that the sulcata doesn't do well. Um, the only time humidity is an issue is when it's winter time and it's raining. That's a problem because cold and wet doesn't work. I don't think with any reptile. So, um, 
the sulcutta has to come in during the winter. Um, so does the yellowfoot and the, the other tortoises. So I basically, my, I, one of the things when we're talking about buying a house, this one doesn't have a basement, but the garage is um, basically it's got double walls. So it's insulated. And so it'll hold in any temperature and humidity. And then they, they did the thing where they like painted the floor with that cool paint where you can like clean anything off. So yeah. I basically have everything set up in there through the winter. And if I get a nice day, I just bring them outside for the day. And then, you know, around sunset, bring them back in for the silk cut. I have like a, a wheelbarrow to kind of like save my back. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, that's the only time I run into issues with humidity is, is in the winter. And, if you if you screw up once, like if I if I don't get home in time or something, and it rains on them and it's fifty degrees outside, then they're gonna start sneezing, and you know, then I gotta put twice the amount of heat on them and and all that. But that usually doesn't really happen, just because um, with the amount of turtles I have, I watch the weather all the time, so I'm like, oh yeah, the weather's good today, you know. Especially like going through fall and early spring, you're kind of like. I, I just feel bad when they're inside, you know, because, you know, my sulcata gets to roam a, a half acre and then in the winter he gets to, you know, destroy my garage. With a know? little light bulb over him. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. He's got the light bulb over him and he's, you know, not eating a whole lot of like fresh grass. He's eating a lot of Timothy hay. That's when I kind of have to switch over to giving him some Missouri or I'm giving him a lot of, um, you know, store-bought greens and stuff and, it's funny because like as nice as like store-bought greens look like he would rather eat, you know, my 15 different species of grass I have. Right. And how do you bring it back to the other stuff? How do you source like your crayfish and uh, mollusks and different stuff that you're using? Um, I use uh, farmer's markets. And um, so we, my wife is uh, from Thailand. So she's always going to like Asian markets all the time. So when you go there, they, they have everything. So uh, I'll get my crayfish. And uh, for the most part, if you want to kind of sterilize them, you can freeze them for a while, and that'll kill off a lot of parasites. So you can do that. Um, some of my turtles I've had for a long time, and they were, you know, originally wild caught, and they've just been living out. You know, I've got, like, I've got a big old male Florida snapper. You know, that guy gave him to me, and he is wild caught. And he lives in a pond outside. And I really try not to mess with him too much because he's such an asshole, but um, like I'll just throw the live crayfish in there and he doesn't have any issues with parasites or anything like that. And if anything does like show up with that, I mean, there's easy ways to get parasites out of turtles. So, um, but for the most part, yeah, I'll, I'll go to the Asia market and, and get all of the, the natural food and stuff and um, just kind of throw it in the freezer and, you know, you maximize your dollar too. Um, I, I posted a photo on my Instagram today and it was, it was clams, apple snails, um, whole tilapia. Mm. And I mean, all of that together for like under $10. Wow. Yeah. I guess, I guess they kind of eat all the garbage food that, you know, not many people are eating. Yeah. 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 There's, um, they're all like, uh, getting like the apple snails and stuff is awesome. Cause like, I feel like that little booth in the frozen foods is for me. <laughs> yeah who else is going there i, I see that I, I asked my wife i'm like who the hell eats that and she's like i don't know i'm like you don't know make soup of it or something who knows yeah so i just see that and i'm like well giant musk turtle there you go and you you alluded to things like ris um a couple times so 
how do you treat, you know, say in aquatic species and then also in, in your tortoises? Uh, with aquatics, I do a 12 hour dry dock. And um, so what I'll do is I'll actually, I like to put them on cardboard because the cardboard will absorb all moisture. So they'll get totally dry overnight in cardboard. And then I just put them back in the water, make sure they have a dry basking spot. And um, most of the, I haven't had anything bad in a long time. And I think a lot of that has to do with keeping outside. Um, so usually that's enough. I mean, if it's anything more than that, it's, you know, time to go to the vet. Um, with the snakes, you know, I haven't had any problems with the bull snakes. Um, with the tortoises, uh, for whatever reason, every year my uh, mountain tortoise will sneeze through the winter. But there's no drainage or anything. I think it's um, just more it's not used to being dry because it gets really dry here in the winter. Like the air just gets dry. So I would rather her be fine and maybe sneeze a little bit than go moisten her up and then we lose power in the winter and now she's you know cold and wet so right and then uh something we skipped over but ryan in the chat asked if the russian tortoise stays outside over yeah they do and um so this is actually my first year with the russian tortoises but uh the guy i got so i got two from a lady that was keeping them in a glass aquarium and they never got to go outside of a glass aquarium. So they have overgrown beaks and these crazy looking nails and stuff. And so one of the things I've been doing is feeding them off of a slate rock will wear the beak down. Um, I know some people will go at it with a Dremel tool, um, but sometimes when the beak is so long and you go at it with a Dremel tool, you risk, it gets so much leverage on it, it can break farther up the beak and damage the nose. Um, they can eat just fine. So I just do them off with a slate and it'll just gradually wear the beak down. And then the claws, um, they're diggers. So they're just going to dig in the ground. And our ground here is pretty hard. It's clay and rock. So, you know, they can dig all they want, you know, those claws will come down. Um, but the guy I got the bulk of my Russian tortoises from kept his outside in the mountains of South Carolina. And he actually built um, these cool little bunkers. He took that corrugated plastic and he sank it into the ground. And so they have a little cave mm. and then he framed around that with wood and dug all that out. And then he filled it with, you know, mulch and loose dirt. And then he covers that. And so that's how he kept his Russians outside. So I'm going to build something similar to that, um, and let them stay outside. I mean, here in the South, I think they should do fine. Uh, he told me as long as it's on a high area that just doesn't, as long as water is not going in there during the winter, they'll be fine. And do people, I don't know if this is like totally old stuff, but back in the day, the like calcium sticks to wear down the beak, is that still a thing? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you're talking about like, uh, like, cuddle like bone? yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. Yeah. I mean, cuddle bones good. Um, if most of my turtles are eating a lot of, um, like with my aquatics, they're eating a lot of like hard shelled stuff. You know, even the cooters will every now and then pick up a clam and eat on the shell or they'll eat, you know, a crayfish or something. So they get a good amount of calcium. But I mean, all turtles, cuddle bones, a good idea. Um, so cuddle will walk over to that and just eat that thing. So, <laughs> yeah. And uh, the the chat was wondering, do you want fly river turtles? <sighs> Who doesn't? <laughs> no, that's my answer too. Yeah, I, yeah, I would. I, I would make a shady deal with the devil for a fly river turtle. They, they're, they're beautiful. And 
I remember um, I was talking with Ken and we were talking about he has this uh, this huge wreck pond that Aquascape built in his backyard. And he, he refers to it as like they just dropped a Maserati behind his house. And <laughs> I, I was telling I was like, if I had that, I was like, I would have like two or three fly river turtles in there. And I would just wake up every morning, just put on goggles and just drop myself in there and just hang out with fly river turtles because they're they're the coolest They're There's nothing like them. You know, you can say they're like a sea turtle, but they're not. Or you can say they're like a soft shell, but they're not. They're like just, you know, they're their own thing. And I mean, if you've seen one, you're, you know what I'm talking about. They're, they're awesome. So to answer that guy's question, hell yeah. <laughs> and is that something that is often attainable? Or is that, um, is that regulated in Georgia as yeah, well? Yeah, no, no, yeah, no. For 1600 bucks, and if you're willing to take a chance on a little one, yeah, I, I, I want to say last time I looked at a little one, it was like 1600 bucks or something like that. Um, but, you know, they need a lot of space. I would have to build like a dedicated pond. I would also have to want to spend 1600 bucks on a turtle. And the, the thing with turtles is, is, and I know some snakes are like this too, is sometimes they just die for no reason. Mm-hmm. And I would really hate for that to happen with a fly river turtle. Um, but I know, I mean, I know people that have them and they say there's no problem at all. Um, I've talked to people at aquariums and they say they do fine. Um, I know that socially they're a little combative with each other and they will, uh, you know, bite at each other and sometimes other turtles. So, um, yeah, if I ever was offered a fly river turtle or, you know, had a good enough deal and my wife didn't know about it. Um, yeah, I would be like, yeah, pond, you know? <laughs> I, I would do it, man. They're they're awesome. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not really out trying to buy a lot of stuff right now. I I have so much stuff that's given to me, and um, I I enjoy taking care of what I have. Um, I, I think now if I started adding stuff like that, it'd be just like I said. I'd, I'd have to be building stuff. Yeah, and it seems like I mean you must have some amount of accidental breeding, right? Even if it's not your intention. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. All, I mean. I don't intend for my loggerhead musk turtles to breed, but they do it all year long, all day long. I, I can go out to the pond and here goes a female swimming by with a male hanging onto the back of her every single day. Like you could set your watch by it and they'll lay their eggs. They'll lay eggs like year round. They just, they're like little rabbits. So with the loggerhead musk that happens, um, I have a painted turtle that just laid some eggs and um, I, I leave them in the ground. Uh, this year I had some issues with my incubator last year. Um, so now I'm just kind of letting stuff incubate in the ground. You get like a bigger, healthier baby when you do that. Um, Does the the overall process take longer? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but what happens when you take turtles and people try to raise the incubation temperatures to like speed up development, you end up with extra skewts or, you know, two heads or, you know, some other, you know, stuff that, you know, when you when you start doing it too much, you start just you're kind of kind of blowing it. You know, you're mm-hmm. you're like, well, you had these five awesome eggs, and you know, you got one. You know, the rest of them, you know, are like like that. You know, so uh, doing them in the ground, like I said, I just get a healthier, bigger baby, um, and I get a higher success rate of hatching. Uh, so the this year, it's been so dry that we're basically we're basically waiting on rain to unlock them from the ground 
But oh, they, so how does that work exactly? I mean, explain the whole. Um, so when they lay them in the ground, and especially here where it's it's like hard clay, uh, the ground is is hard. So um, when it rains for you know a whole day or a whole couple days, and that ground gets soft, it'll come down, and those eggs will get wet. And you know, let's let's say a lot of times they'll actually hatch inside that that chamber. They can hang out in there. They've they've got their yolk in there, and you know they know that they can. They have a lot of time in there, so once that water hits them, then they'll know to come out. And a lot of times turtles are laying eggs this time of year. And instead of hatching, you know, 90 days from now in the winter, they'll actually overwinter in the nest. And so oh. a lot of times that's why like sometimes in March or April, you'll see little baby turtles. Well, they overwintered in the nest. Wow. That's crazy. So, so you, you're basically not exactly worrying about these eggs. Nah, they, they do their own thing. And, um, I think if you start stressing about eggs, you start to have kind of more problems. I know when I was like trying to incubate every egg that I ever got and I was trying to, you know, get them all set up and stuff. Um, I, I was hatching plenty, but, um, I know that I was like, okay, well, you know, are they going to hatch or maybe I need to raise the incubation temperature. You know, I remember I, the one time I raised incubation temperatures, I, I, all my turtles hatched, but I started getting like the weird scutes and stuff. And I was like, ah, it's not worth it. And talking with some guys that breed a lot of turtles, um, they started off doing that, and then they've kind of gone back now to either in ground or um, doing longer incubation at like a lower temperature. Gotcha. And I mean, before you said that you don't really focus on selling turtles, so what do you do with the babies? Uh, they just go back into like little habitats. So I have these little tubs that are for growing out plants and for growing out like little snails and stuff. And I'll just put the little baby turtles in there. Um, and if I have like friends that I know that like, let's say it's loggerheads cause those are what I end up with a whole lot of, um, I'll give those to, to friends or I'll give those to somebody that does education. Um, there's a place in Atlanta, the amphibian foundation. Um, I've given them, uh, some baby loggerheads, baby Florida snappers, stuff like that. So. Gotcha. And as far as the babies go or any of them in general, I mean, how do you keep them from being easy snacks for birds or whatever may get them? Yeah, that's, that's part of it. I mean, a, a baby turtle is nature's Ritz cracker. So, um, <laughs> a lot of times if I know exactly where a nest is, I'll put some kind of cover over it. Um, or, uh, since I'm home, you know, working from home, you know, I can kind of watch stuff throughout the day. So I know where stuff is and, and all that. And most of my stuff is pretty predator proof. I do. I did this last year have like two hawks and they would literally just hang out and stare at my turtle ponds. Um, but they never actually got anything, but it, it's pretty unsettling when, you know, you look out your back window and they're, you know, just staring at your turtles and you know what, you know what the intent is. So no, you, you um, put the buffet right in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the scary part is, is how do you deal with that? Because well, hawks are protected. So, you know, I can't do anything malicious to them. So I, I have some, I have some fences set up. I have some, uh, some wire and all that. And I think this year I'm probably going to run uh, an electric fence. Um, hopefully not shock myself in the process, but um, I've noticed in my neighborhood, we've got uh, both red and gray foxes and I saw a skunk that I thought was a cat. Um, but it was a skunk. I didn't pet it, but, um, 
I did see one of those. So I, I basically have like the the big book of turtle predators. Yeah, I got every chapter in there. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of the as as living here kind of unfolds and I work on things. Um, there's always going to be stuff to add. I'm going to get a camera system set up so uh, I can kind of keep an eye from wherever I'm at. Uh, like if I travel to Thailand and I'm in Thailand a month, you know, uh, it'd be easy to to look and just see like what's going on in my backyard instead of, you know, worrying sick. Are things like the Russians, I mean, are those vulnerable or what are the more vulnerable of the tortoises to say like coyotes or foxes or whatever you have? Um, I was, yeah, I would say probably if I had to, if I was a predator and I had to pick one out there to eat, it would probably be a Russian because they're just like a little hamburger. Um, but the way I set up them is um, I'm a big fan of clay pots. They're like the perfect little hide. And so what I did is in their enclosure, I dug it out and I sank this clay pot in there and kind of filled back in so that they can go up under there. And then um, around their uh, enclosure, I make like a kind of a double wall and then they have an overhang that they can get up underneath. Um, and then, like I said, with, a, with an electric fence coming, there'll be kind of more to kind of predator proof it. Uh, luckily not too much comes into my yard because I also have a dog and the presence of a dog is most of the time that's enough to keep away a lot of stuff. So I have a, a, a big dumb pit bull. And so luckily he pees all over everything. So everything knows he's there. So right. it's so far so good. Um, but I, I don't think there's such a thing as being too safe. So it's just, you know, like, like everything costs money and, and time and everything. The main thing when I get a turtle is just making sure that all its needs are covered. It has a safe place to hide and, you know, then you work from there. Gotcha. And is there anything that you plan to do as far as ponds, landscaping, any of that stuff in the future? Yeah. Yeah. I still have. So I have like the one pond that I show a lot on my Instagram. And then um, that's only half of the liner. Um, I basically took that liner and cut it in half to build that one with the idea of I'll either build another one just like it or I'll, uh, if something happens to that one, I'll just have a replacement. So what I ended up doing is uh, kind of having that second one and then the guy that gave me the Russians gave me a pond liner. And then I think in my garage I saw it the other day, I was like, oh, I have another pond liner. So I'm going to build a mud turtle habitat. They like, uh, you know, they like, temporary pools and then they like to get up and hide and walk around on land and forage on land like a box turtle so i want to build a habitat um, on land for them i want to build another pond for the rest of my cooters i want to kind of divide up the cooter group with the slider two sliders or whatever um, and then uh potentially i i don't know if anything will happen but the the guys at aquascape are you know, they're always talking about building ponds for everybody and stuff. And they're like, oh, maybe we'll build you a pond. I'm like, yeah, well, we'll see. So if anything happens with that, that would be cool. If not, you know, I'll just do it myself. You know, I can I can go source materials. And I enjoy building stuff. Um, it's fun kind of making it come together. And, you know, you start off with like a vision of what you want and, and how you want it. And, you know, you, you just kind of make it happen. Um, I, the one that... I built, like I said, the one that I show a lot on my Instagram, that was the first one I built of that style. Um, growing up, I didn't think that you could use a liner pond with turtles. Everybody just said it doesn't work. 
Um, so I always use stock tanks and, and tubs and stuff, but then building this one and um, I wanted Aquascape to build one at my house and they like told me, oh, you got to call your local contractor. So I called this guy and I was like, hey man, I was like, I got this, you know, this big yard. I'd like for you to come out. Tell me how much it'll be to build like a big turtle pond. Just give me a price. I'm down to do this. And then he was, he was like a dick. He was like, I hate turtles. He's like, I hate doing anything for turtles. What? And then uh, he basically went on like a tirade about why he doesn't like them. And he was trying to tell me that it won't work. And I was just like, I was like, all right, man. And he was like, he's like, yeah, I don't have time for this. And like hung up on me. So I was basically like, well, fuck that guy. I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> You know, so like a lot of the money that was saved, I was like, well, I'll, I'll, you know, go get a liner. I'll go get pumps, filters, you know, rocks. I can find rocks. So I watched all the videos of how Aquascape, you know, builds their ponds and how they do all that stuff. I mean, I would literally stay up every night till two or 3 a.m. just watching their videos. And so um, I got my buddy and we just started digging. And I started, you know, just following the steps and the videos of how they did it. Um, kind of learned the hard way. It helps to have all your rocks up front. Um, instead, I would kind of get rocks and then have to get my Honda Fit and drive to Alabama to get these like cool looking river rocks from this one spot and then drive back. So it'd be funny because I'd be driving back with like 800 pounds of rock in my car and like dragging the butt, like going down the road and like Honda Fit doesn't even want to do it. Um, so I learned the hard way that it helps to just uh, pay for that big pallet of rock up front. Um, and then once you do that, you're kind of set. And like, now that I know how to do it, I think I can do it better and I'd like to keep doing it and do it better each time. But I also want to do just different styles. Like I said, a mud turtle pond. I want to do something, maybe my next one, I want to do more like a Florida spring because that's one of my favorite places. So maybe more sand, more limestone. And then maybe something big for some Gulf Coast box turtles, like something really big. So, and then I want to try and do an outdoor bull snake enclosure. And I know it's going to be probably a failure, but I want to do it anyway. Dude, Just, I think if you dig up and then sink like, in, like, like, yeah, mesh underground, you put your dirt over it, you do your different grasses, some rocks, some logs, and then you do walls, and then you do an open top with a latch. It's possible. I mean, I've I've thought about it all the time because I, 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 I take my snakes out um, almost every day and I let them, you know, cruise around and hang out. So it's funny because my bull snakes are not a hissy or anything. They don't do all the cool stuff because they're so used to me and they get to, you know, they move around the pond and, you know, go through the yard and all that stuff. Um, so when I when I was watching them do that, I was also a little bit curious, would they behave differently outside would they look differently because turtles that are outside they get more colorful they get more contrast in their colors i was like oh maybe that would work work that way with snakes so i would imagine if you did it correctly you may never see them you would just be in a hole yeah but well you know it's funny because i actually like that i like i think that's why i like looking for turtles is like because at home i set all my stuff up so my turtles can hide from me. So I have to like look around to find them. So yeah, I would love it if my bull snake was in there and I had to hunt around to see where he's at. And then he yeah. just like pokes out his head and takes a rat and goes back. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the little head comes out or you just see like the tail sticking out, you know, that, that would be sick. And that's, that's kind of the stuff I want to start doing is more stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, for, for my pits, like 
during a certain time of the year, you can just hear them in the enclosure trying to dig, you mm-hmm. know, and continually digging, digging, digging. Yeah. It's like, damn, I wish I could somehow have like four feet of soil in some type of enclosure where they could actually like yeah. dig and make a burrow. Or I wanted to get like a uh, like an old driftwood tree stump and then put that in there with dirt around it. So because, you know, they would want to get, you know, up under that tree stump. So it'd be like kind of a cool, natural little spot for them. Yeah, and obviously you would be you would be worried about like the composition of the soil if it's going to hold the burrow, like it can collapse in on your snake, I suppose. So I don't know how any of that works. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's kind of a lot to consider, um, and I I don't know if anybody's done it before. I mean, for a bull snake, I mean, I would imagine they've probably built something for indigos or something mm-hmm. like that somewhere, but um, I don't I don't really have anybody to ask about it. So it's more like. Um, engineer it in my head buy all the crap build it see you know give it a trial run see how it goes uh the only bummer would be like the snake gets out and it's like oh your snake's gone that didn't work (laughs) yeah yeah the the only way to really test it is to have your snake in there unfortunately yeah yeah i mean my my biggest bull snake is big enough it can't really squeeze through a lot um and I don't find them to be as bad as like king snakes or milk snakes where they like, they find some tiny thing and they're like, I'm going to fit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it would be super awesome. And I know that, I mean, like, uh, Orient society, you know, does those outdoor enclosures for the indigos. Yeah. Uh, yeah I don't know how much overlap the behavior would have, but. Uh, I, I mean, it's, they're not the same snake, but they're similar in a lot of ways. Um, I know indigos and Florida pines have a lot of overlap and, and stuff. So you, I think if you could do it, whatever you do for an indigo, I think would work for a bull or a pine. Yeah. I don't know, man. You got to do it. Yeah. I mean, you see like Crutchfield keeping like retics outside and all types of stuff. And, uh, yeah. It, and I, I always thought that was cool too. It's like, is keeping, yeah you know, those big snakes outside. And as a kid, I, I grew up in Florida. So like as a kid, when you would go to those places, you would see that. And I just always wondered like, well, okay, but is that possible with a yellow rat snake? You know, can you, can you do that? And so, I mean, I'm sure there's people doing it. And um, I, I just, I'd like to see more of that. What do you think of like the overall move to more naturalistic, you know, coming from sterile tubs and stuff like that. It seems like the new generation is kind of more into things like bioactive and naturalistic. Yeah. I, I met this guy, um, at the aquascape thing, uh, Serpa design. Do you know him Tanner? Mm-hmm. Have you seen that guy? That guy's awesome. And I like that he builds that kind of stuff. Uh, that's awesome. I think, um, if, if I were to talk about it with pine snakes or bull snakes, then, you know, you, you built a really nice setup that's there's not going to look like that tomorrow. <laughs> so th- there is certain stuff that I think it works for and doesn't work for. Um, mm-hmm. I think the idea behind it, no matter what, is, is really good. Um, that said, right now my bull snakes are in tubs, but mm-hmm. that's also why I let them outside every day so that they're not stuck in a tub all day. For me, I mean, at least for my, my Louisiana pines, they hate all types of uh, anything human mm-hmm. that's warm. They pretty much hate anything. And, uh, I mean, the tub is the closest thing to a burrow I feel that I can get. Well, yeah, and it, it kind of holds them kind of cozy and everything. And 
um, yeah, my, mine seem to like it. Like they have the tub, but then I also have like, you know, I'll put like a little hide box in there too. Um, and they'll, they'll be cool with it for a while. And then eventually they're just like, nah, I'm going to take a dump all over this thing. I'm going to ruin it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something to wear. Yeah. I don't keep in a tub on newspaper and with no hide or whatever. I try to at least give some substrate so they can push some stuff around with that. Rush. Yeah. I do the Aspen. I like the Aspen. Um, it also clumps around their crap. Um, it, it's good. I like that. Um, like I said, I would like to do something more natural. Um, and I just, I haven't seen, I just haven't seen anything in my lane yet. So I, I guess I just need to need to try it. But I, I do like the move towards, towards building all that stuff. Um, having watched a lot of YouTube videos on that and all that stuff, it's, it's cool. Cause I, I respect it a lot. Cause it's a lot like what I like to do outside, but you know, people are doing it. And, you know, I, I think, uh, Tanner at Serpa design, I think he does it in like a Mason jar, you know? Yeah. There's some people. Some crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They make uh fairy gardens. I don't even know what the hell they are, but they're basically like these miniature terrariums mm -hmm. where they can grow little, uh, make all different kinds of grow different plants and whatnot. It's impressive. Yeah. And, uh, by the way, Greg, this is Melissa. I'm not actually. In Hello. Thank she you. will be in the there shop now. Magic. So, uh, yeah, we've been talking about turtles. Gotcha. I think what is fun, kind of a new thing that I've been seeing more so, is the morphs in turtles. So what do you think about these, uh, like, ready or slatter morphs and whatnot? Um, I don't have a problem with them. I'm not into morphs that much. Um, I... I, I see it and I appreciate it for sure. I see why I see the attraction. Um, you know, when I see like a albino red eared slider in person or an albino Chinese soft shell or something, I, it's, they're really cool looking. They're just, they're not, they're not what I'm into. I'm into like more like, I like a classic, you know, you know, example of something or a particularly well-marked version of something um, with, with stuff that I've tried to breed in the past, I would breed for certain traits I just thought were nice. Like um, when I was focusing on breeding Florida snapping turtles, I liked a bright orange shell and like as white as possible skin because I like that color, you know, variance. But then the West Coast ones are very dark and they have like really long things on the neck. So I was like, okay, well, I want to do those too. Um, and then with loggerheads, I like to breed for like fine speckling, light colored skin, all that kind of stuff. But um, I don't really do a lot. I, I mean, to get into like all the the morphs and stuff. I mean, it, that's that's a lot of uh, that's a lot up front. Because I, I looked at albino snappers at one point. I went to the, I think the Daytona show, and there was a guy, and um, I was like, man, that's that's a lot of money for a snapping turtle. You know, coming from you know me getting turtles for free a lot of the time or, you know, a lot of rehomes. Um, but I do like, um, I do like some of the hypo stuff sometimes. I'll see that. I'll be like, that looks when it, when they look natural, but like enhanced, that's, that's probably my best, best way to put it is what I like. Yeah. Are there any light sensitivities with those, with the lighter uh, color turtles? Um, so with, if I, if I were to reference somebody I know, my friend John Richards, he breeds alligator snapping turtles. He has loggerhead acres, turtle farm, and 
sometimes me and him will get in phone conversations for an hour or two about alligator snappers. And I was asking him, they have like a leuchistic and a, a hypo. And yeah, they, they see, he said that some of them seem to be sensitive to light. Some of them seem to have some issues with the hind legs sometimes. So sometimes coming along with those morphs, you do see certain physical characteristics maybe not being that good. Uh, I know that um, a lot of times with those hypos, the clown, the albino, a lot of times when you see those, it'll get back to what we were talking about earlier with the higher incubation tips. You'll see the the um, extra scutes or misaligned scutes, stuff like that. Um, I'm sure you've seen the pink-bellied side neck with the, the heart exposed in the middle of the shell. So that's, you know, that's somebody getting into breeding for a morph, but also trying to hurry up the incubation process. So someone trying to make money. Oh, yeah. Everybody trying to make money. I, I can't hate on somebody trying to make money, but um, I, I'm not a fan of trying to make money at the expense of, you know, making mutant turtles right. that aren't ninjas. That aren't teenaged either. <laughs> yeah. Middle-aged. <laughs> <laughs> Um, when you said rehome, it made me think of something Joe and I talk about all the time. Um, and snakes, there's those people who like rescue snakes and it's their big thing. And there's many people who do the rescue of snakes well. There's many people who don't. And I was wondering if you know in the turtle world, like are those people out there who just like their whole thing is rescuing turtles and rehoming turtles? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always people that, yeah, there, people like to use that rescue word. They like to use that a lot. Like they ran into a burning building. Um, but in reality, a lot of times it's, I, I think everybody has good intentions that does it. Um, but I think sometimes you walk a fine line of hoarding. Um, that's one reason why I had to tell, you know, the, the, I was telling you earlier, the Georgia Reptile Society was giving out my number. I eventually had to, you know, tell one of them, I was like, Hey, you know, I'm kind of at max right now. I not really looking to take on anything else, you know? Um, so there there's people that take on stuff and they just don't stop and i think it's people like having something new but the problem is is you know you're putting books on a shelf and eventually they're going to start falling off the other end you know like something something's got to give and um i mean it, it depends on your amount of space and experience and I, I know guys that that take on a lot of turtles and you know i've been to their houses and i'm like dude what are you doing you know you know they'll they'll have a a 10 foot pond with 50, 60 turtles in it. Jesus. And I can walk around and I can walk around in there and find a dead one somewhere. And that's when it's like, okay, well you might've rescued them from this, but then you brought them here and killed them. You know? Yeah. So again, I, I don't, I don't think anybody's a bad person. I think it all starts with good intentions, but I think especially with turtles, it's easy to get in over your head. Um, Cause you know, you, you, a lot of them have special needs, you know, different species need different things. You can't treat everything like a red-eared slider. You can treat a red-eared slider like dirt and it'll be fine, but you can't treat everything like that, you know? And I think that's kind of where people in the rescue world fall into the trap is mm -hmm. that like they want to rescue everything and they're like, Oh, let me rescue all snakes. But wait, no. And bearded dragons. Right. right. But, but even within snakes, you know, it's yeah. like, that just because you want to say snakes, just because it's all one animal, there's so many, you know, there's you so need many to be different. An expert in all those species right. in order to actually help. Them. And it's hard because it's like on one, and I'm like, like you said, there's good intention. Like you right. know, 
someone you'd rather like you take it than this person, you know, release it or do something else with it. But then it's just it's hard, I think. Resources, money, space, right. All this. right. Yeah, and and with turtles, they live a long time. So it's like, okay, you rescued 50, 60 turtles. All right, good job. You you got them all set up. All right. Most of those are gonna outlive you. Now what? You know? Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's, even worse. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's something I have to think about every day. Is It's like I do have a, a, a good amount of turtles. Most of them are going to outlive me. I mean, I'd like to outlive a few of them. I don't want to die too young. But, you know, you there is, you know, responsibility that comes with it. So, okay, what happens after me? You know, do these have a place to go where they're, they're going to be safe and taken care of? And so um, you're better off to plant those seeds early. Um, if you're doing a rescue, you know, don't take anything in if you don't potentially have somewhere for it to go. I mean, because otherwise you're a crazy cat lady. You know, we've all seen that lady. She's driving down the road. And she's like, a cat, you know, like <laughs> stop the car in traffic, chase it across an intersection. And you know? see what happens to the cra- when the cat, crazy cat lady dies and they go in their house on the episode of Hoarders. And the cats and- are eating her. Yeah, like <laughs> crazy <laughs> stuff in turtles is there like a quarantining process that is important I'm so, yeah so uh we i was we we're just talking about russian tortoises so i had gotten uh one of my newest turtles that i have i got these russian tortoises well i got two from a lady that had kept them in her house and then i got a group of them from a guy that kept them outside so um one thing you want to do is you want to keep this group separate from this group as long as you can before you start kind of integrating them you want to watch, you know, you want to check their poop. You want to check their behavior. Uh, if you can take them to a vet, get a quick checkup, make sure everybody's good, no parasites. Uh, with Russian tortoises, they carry a herpes virus. So, um, I you know. I didn't know that. Yeah, and they're going to mix it up. And if there's herpes in there, it's like that thing. Like, if you know five people, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got seven Russian tortoises. Somebody's got herpes. So, um and so, yeah, so there is a, a quarantine process. Uh, same with aquatic turtles. You know, you just want to give everything some time. You want to watch behavior, watch what it's eating, what it's passing. And then you can start to, to kind of integrate it in. And then some stuff just doesn't get along with other stuff. You know, um, I've introduced musk turtles before. And for whatever reason, one musk turtle just is out to get another one. They just aren't going to get along. Is that sex dependent at all or just random? Um. It can be like if a male is too pushy, he'll drive the female. So he'll drive the females to where they get stressed. And when they get stressed, they'll leave the water. So if you have an aquatic turtle, like a musk turtle or something that's not a basking species, and it all of a sudden starts basking a lot, and you've maybe got another one of those, like let's say you have two razorback musk turtles and a red-eared slider. Your red-eared slider basks all the time. It's supposed to. But then, you know, one of your... Razorback musk turtles is out of the water all the time. You check it, it's, it's not gravid, so it's not looking to lay, but it's just sitting there and not moving. It's stressed out and it's just trying to get away from the other one. Uh, so yeah, like anytime I introduce stuff, I basically like you got to sit there like they're kids. You just got to sit there and watch them. And you know, if they're starting to act like he's touching me, you know, and getting like, you know, kind of cranky with each other, then it's, you know, okay, well, these two aren't going to get along. And then they'll, they'll go through periods of not getting along and they'll work it out um, as long as you have places for them to get away. You know, I, like I said, I like to use clay pots. 
if you got musk turtles fighting and they got a little clay pot to get into, well, then that one, as soon as that one's in that clay pot, he's just going to leave it. And then the one that's in there is going to feel safe. And then it just kind of resets and then the day goes on. And, you know, that, that seems to work pretty well. Are there any turtles that have any like cannibalistic behaviors at all? Oh yeah. I think turtles are like secretly like little savages. Like if you think your red eared sliders are friends, just let them get hungry long enough. And one of them will definitely eat the other one. Um, but then like certain turtles are known like Mexican giant musks will eat smaller turtles. Alligator snapping turtles love to eat musk turtles and small turtles. Um, I had a razorback musk turtle uh, years and years ago that would like to dig up and try to eat soft shells. So I couldn't keep it with soft shells. Um, most turtles are opportunists. They'll just, if there's an opportunity to eat something, they'll do it. Like box turtles will eat their own baby box turtles if you don't keep an eye on them. And in the wild, I mean, I can imagine that those turtles or baby turtles are being eaten by like almost everything in the nest and stuff like that. So um, what is kind of your biggest concern as far as when you have babies coming out and being so vulnerable besides like, obviously we talked about predators outside and stuff like that, but are they also more vulnerable to say like our eyes or anything like that? Um, I, I would say our eyes if they, hatched out in the fall or too early in the spring maybe um usually what'll happen with that though is their turtles are so driven by the sun that like if they hatch out and anything's wrong with them they're going to go right in the direct sunlight so they they kind of know that if they have any kind of ri they're going to go seek out the sun they're going to try and dry out try and get warm so nine times out of ten that's that's what they'll do that's why like when, when you've got a pet you know turtle at your house and it's starting to act sick. It's probably going to go climb out of the water or climb under a lamp and then just sit there. So that's, that's usually what you'll see with that. And so with baby turtles, uh, one of the ba- main things is just to give them a safe space. So let's say um, you're not in Pennsylvania, but you have box turtles and you have your pen set up and you know, they laid in there. You want to give like a bunch of tiny little areas to hide. You want basically like, like, you know how you flip for snakes or salamanders? Mm-hmm. Create that same stuff. Create like a big flat log or like a, um, you know, a big uh, flat stone, you know, all that kind of stuff and give those babies little places and they'll, they'll get in there. And I guess that's where they would also find their prey, which is like typically earthworms and stuff like that. Yeah, earthworms, pill bugs, small centipedes and millipedes, uh, grubs. Um, they'll eat, you know, a lot of stuff. I've seen him eat just like old wood. I've seen a box turtle just sit. And what? Sit. Yeah, I've I've been out herping before and just watched a box turtle just sit and eat old wood off of a log. And I don't know if it smelled like fungi or something because they like to eat, you know, mushrooms. But I've just seen him eat old wood, and I've read uh, I've read you know reports of other turtles eating wood for no real reason. That's very strange. I yeah, really, well, they're not smart either. So, <laughs> well, I've seen that thing where like people have a tortoise and it either comes over and like humps your leg or tries to bite your toes and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, they'll do that too. I mean, you can you can give a sulcata. You can take a tub and just flip a tub upside down. A sulcata will walk over and you know put the moves on it. 
and yeah go ahead. Oh, i'm super add right now i have a thought that like would have been good like 10 minutes into the <laughs> podcast but what got you interested in turtles no um uh, so my shirt what oh i was gonna say you're gonna ask about my shirt or something oh no. Okay. Cool. <laughs> your face, though. <laughs> so, um, well, now I feel like I should ask about your shirt. It, no, no, yeah. Okay. No, sometimes um, I go. I, I wear the shirt. People ask if I'm trying to look like Ace Ventura or something. Oh, uh, that is very true. Okay. Now that you say okay. that. Now, I was just saying, like, turtles are an interesting animal to me in like society view because I don't feel like they're like hated like snakes are but i don't feel like people understand them if that makes sense you know they're they're That's not almost their downfall right. that they're cute and people but they're not like they're not like yeah. dog cute you know to people they're still they still don't get the like cuddly dog cat like people love but they're not like hated they're like in a weird middle ground but they're, they're also feared. they're not feared but they're i don't think they're i don't also think they're respected i get what you're saying they're, they're almost like kind of lumped in with like frogs a lot yeah. A lot of times I'll tell people I'm into turtles and they, they for whatever reason, they're like, oh, you like frogs? I'm like, <laughs> I, I guess. But yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And it's, I think the general view on turtles is most people will say, oh, I had a pet turtle or, oh, I saw one in the road or we had one in our yard one time. So most people, their immediate thought is a weird slider or a box turtle or maybe a snapping turtle. Um, but they're, they don't have like a good, you know, PR rep, you know, they don't right. really have. And, and a lot of times um, I, I like all my other, I guess, colleagues in the turtle world. Um, but I think sometimes the, the hard part is getting all the information out there, but making it palatable. Cause you know, you can't, you can't just walk up to the average person. You want to convince turtles are awesome and start spouting off species names and talking about, you know, where in Southeast Asia they're from and this and that, you know, you got to kind of, you got to make it like, you know, something that people can stomach that, you know, isn't kind of, you know, a nerd overload, you know, because at, at that point you might as well just start talking about like, man, I love Dungeons and Dragons too. You know? <laughs> yeah. Which kind of sucks because I never see it like that. And I probably go too deep with some people and I don't realize like I look like a giant loser, but. No, but you know, the people to go deep with that sounds very wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it just. It's inter like it's interesting because you know with snakes people's response is like oh kill it or whatever yeah they and tell you so about like that the, one story about right. them chopping one's head off it's like yeah that's exactly what I want to hear and what world do you think that that's a right. proper response yeah to my love of snakes is just talk about you killing them I don't but yeah. so I think there's more people out there who have killed snakes but I think there's also more people who have mistreated turtles. And, like remember i told you the other day i was thing well i was literally driving tree. and there's this man in the median like with the little plastic thing selling it at the like corner of the oh, street God. and i'm like wait like, do people literally like stop their car at the stoplight and like buy a turtle for like how does this work it just blew my yeah. mind and i'm like no one would ever do this with the snake but at the same time they would yeah. kill the snake so it's like which one's worse yeah, turtles have fell into this like weird spot because like you go to like Panama City Beach, Florida, and you go in a beach store, and it's like get a baby turtle with a you know like they it's like those and like hermit crabs they they're this like disposable little pet right you know? and it's the problem that's been going on since like the 
the fifties and the sixties when they were doing the little plastic thing with the palm tree and for, you know, 10 cent red eared sliders. So that it's been going on like that for a long time. And that's honestly part of the problem. And there's, you know, I, it's out of my hands to try and figure out how to stop that. But the best thing I, I can do is kind of be able to put some kind of information out there that like, let's say somebody does have a turtle that they bought from, you know, that bozo on the street selling them, you know, like, well, you know, maybe they find somebody like me that's putting out, okay, well, here's how you actually, you know, should take care of it. And then you'll have a pet that you can have, you know, potentially for the rest of your life, you know, and, you know, and like I said, make it palatable and, you know, you don't want to make it feel like you're talking down to people, like, you know, shaming them for having bought it, you know, because mm-hmm. once they bought it and they have it, it's got to go somewhere. So right. um, you want to, you want to work with people and work with what people can do. Um, you know, not everybody, not everybody has, you know, a big backyard. A lot of people have a turtle and live in an apartment. I've some of the best aquariums and tub setups I've seen have been people that live in apartments. You know, I've got a buddy down in Florida and him and his wife, they do these really cool setups with these tubs and he'll send me videos to my phone and, you know, it kind of blows me away. And then it's like, okay, well I want to do that, but outside, you know, (laughs) And, and I think if you can get people into that aspect of it, then it becomes, it adds another dimension to the hobby. You know, if you can get people into building a habitat and into um, kind of enjoying, you know, waterscaping or, you know, making a terrarium if it's a land turtle or tortoise. Or Um, else you see, I think in snakes, one of our downfalls is the fact that there isn't that. So the way to keep yourself occupied is to buy another snake. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I know. Like I said, I, I kept snakes, so I've been there. And I, I would say snakes probably, as far as general pets, maybe have it the worst, you know, unless you're like a tiger salesman or something. <laughs> um, but I, I think I think snakes kind of have it the worst because, uh, especially with with everything that happened in Florida, I think now, like, I mean, if you if you keep pythons, you know, now everybody's you know shame on you for having pythons mm-hmm. and look what happened in Florida and and all of that. So. Um, it's it's also just I feel like gotten harder to be a herb keeper over the last five or six years, um, and it'll probably get it'll probably get even harder, you know. And I think then it's going to take years to convince people in Florida or who know about or who are misinformed about the situation in Florida. I think it's going to take many years for that stigma it's only to, be, re- to, be, you know, it's to only be to be removed. Right? I don't I don't even know when it'll be you know, moved or people. And and to be honest, as people who are in the hobby, in the pet hobby or are reproducing animals, like I hate the fact that we are, we're lumped in, whether you like it or not. I mean, our industry has created issues in Florida, things like that. Yeah. I mean, and the last few, like I said, the last few times I went to shows, I was kind of burnt out. It's like, um, you have for every good table, of somebody that's that's doing it right and doing all that you've got the guys that are dealers you know they're they're called dealers just like drug dealers are called dealers you know except these guys wear crocs and have long hair and you know they they're kind of like you know and it's it's weird because you'll see the same guys all the time and you know i'm not going to knock anybody for making a living but i also don't think there's a lot of ethics Mm-hmm. Kind, of, kind of at a show I think it's more like 
well, I can sell this 10 year old, this, you know, uh, Asian Viper, you know, <laughs> he's got the money, his parents gave him money. All right, have fun kid. You know, and, and I'm sure that that's a, that's an extreme example. And I'm sure it doesn't work that way, but, um, it, I see a lot of that kind of stuff and that, that just kind of bummed me out. Um, but I am seeing a lot more like kind of getting involved with social media and seeing stuff on Instagram and seeing stuff through YouTube and it, you're starting to see more people like, like, like you guys, like a husband and wife that's, that's doing this and doing it the right way and, um, communicating with people as opposed to, you know, go to our website and click down a list of, you know, all these different snakes using the exact same picture from seven years ago. <laughs> Yeah, I mean you're seeing you're seeing a group of people doing it better a hundred percent. And then you're seeing some of the same old. But I mean, if you want to be optimistic about it, I mean I think that one day if we do enough, if we do enough outreach and educate the consumer enough, and if these show promoters also take a stake into it and say, Hey, we're not gonna really allow these things going on, we're gonna promote, you know, people doing the right thing, then maybe right. we'll eventually weed itself out because unfortunately if we don't police ourselves someone's going to do it for us so. uh, yeah i think more often than not when i talk to somebody now they're either conservation minded or they're of the mindset of they want to do better you know than than what has been the standard so there's definitely the i it, like like you're saying like looking on the positive side i definitely think there's a trend towards things getting better um people uh, being more creative. And I think with, you know, like, again, social media, there's like this cool sharing of ideas, um, people being able to show people what they do or talk about how they do it. Um, and there's less of like a, an industry secret kind of vibe anymore. And it's more like, you know, people really wanting to, to get involved. And uh, like, I like, I love Louisiana pine snakes. And that's a snake that it's, I don't know if they'll last long in the wild on their own. And I think that the only thing that is going to save them on their own is the people that have pure Louisiana pines getting together and, and doing something to, to, to build something in the future. Cause one day there might be nothing. And, you know, turtles are a, a good example of that because there's a lot of turtles that they're just gone. You know, I went to, when I was in Asia, I was like, I was like, man, this place is like Florida. There's going to be turtles everywhere. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Whole time I was there for a month, I saw one. Wow. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to think I know how to find turtles, and I, I saw one. And uh, that kind of bummed me out. And I, it dawned on me that the reality of what that is, is that's a lot of people eating them. And they've been eating them for hundreds or thousands of years over there. Well, America has been around, you know, a handful of, hundreds of years and you've got uh here in the south it's like if people see a turtle they're like oh turtle soup you know everybody turtle soup turtle soup it's like i don't even know who likes soup that much that's so weird uh come to louisiana yeah soup. yeah it's, it's um, a thing. james was saying that you still can get snapping turtles you just need like a license or a permit yeah, the, Louisiana is still behind on the laws as far as protecting alligator snapping turtles. So there's a permit and I think you're allowed one per person per year or something like that of a household. Um, and I think it has to fall within a certain weight limit. But the 
dumb part of that is, is the weight limit is basically breeding females and breeding males. So you're basically, uh, with the, the way turtles work, the older they get, the more fertile turtles are. So if you have just a super old, smooth shell, you know, ancient female, she's actually producing most of the successful clutches of that population. So when somebody goes and traps it and eats it, well, now you've just, by taking that one turtle, made a significant dent in the population. So that's actually the opposite of most animals, at least, yep. that set up. There's no, like, peak. They just no. Yeah, they, they just kind of keep going, especially the females. Um, and I have a hunch that with a lot of turtles, I think females might actually get older than males. Um, some of uh, some of the alligator snappers and some of the box turtles I've seen, you know, those are two turtles that are known for getting old. Some of the ones that have been the oldest that I've seen were all females. Um, I think I think guys, I think we're just harder on things and we get mixed up in the wrong stuff. Yeah, we're we're curious. Okay. Uh, curious. Like you're equating yourselves to turtles right now. <laughs> I mean, I do turtles that all the time. Like um, okay, backtracking a little bit, talking about, you know, you would go places and you wouldn't see any turtles and kind of the Louisiana pines. Do you know of any like repopulation projects like the Memphis Zoo. Was that who's doing the Louisiana pine one? Yeah. Like that um, for turtles. Uh, there are, it's just, it's really hard to, as a private individual get involved. I know the Atlanta zoo works with different species. They work with some Asian stuff. They work with the, I think some South American and Mexican box turtles. Um, and I know that there's, it, it's, it's tough because you can't just be the guy off the street and say, oh, well, you have five females of this. I've got five males, you know, like you, I couldn't, if I wanted to, I could not give turtles to the Atlanta Zoo and then take them and be part of a breeding program because there's a protocol. Right. Uh, AZA has a protocol of how they, how they get stuff, how they acquire it. So um, then it comes down to places like the Orient Society. Um, they do, uh, I don't know if they're breeding spotted turtles or anything like that or bog turtles repopulation. Um, I know the state of Georgia, when it comes to stuff like that, they don't really, they don't really do that as much as their policy is more just like a hands-off, let's just leave it alone and let it repopulate on its own. Um, and I don't know how much longer that would be feasible for things like bog turtles. Um, I know their numbers are low enough and then they're just running out of habitat and um, so wait, they just think it's gonna, I don't well, understand the hands-off yeah, approach. Like we, we talked a bit about earlier how Georgia has really restrictive herb laws. Uh -huh. So like, you know, the corn snakes, you can't have the right, corn snakes. Right. So he was talking about a bunch of species of pines. So it seems like their, their method is just like, if we stop the pet if we stop taking whatever, them, it's going to, then it's going to work itself work out. Itself. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to talk out of place and try and act like I know all the laws all the way through. But yeah, that's basically the way, mo the way most of Georgia's protection laws work is the idea is that it's protected. So if it's hands off and nobody messes with it, that'll keep people from either taking them out of the state or killing them and eating them or, you know, something like that. And then if the habitat is protected, then they should be fine on their own. Um, I, you know, if, if it's up to me, I, I would say that's probably not enough, but then, you know, a state government is a government. It's, you know, funding's got to come from somewhere and it's, it's pretty hard in the state of Georgia to, you know, convince, you know, Bubba down the street, like, we need to save the turtles, 
you know. But wouldn't the zoo be able to do that on their own? Like, do they uh, have to mess with the government? Oh. Well, yeah, I mean, and my understanding is that zoos kind of operate on their own thing and they do get permission through the state to do stuff. I, again, I, I don't work at the Atlanta Zoo, so I can't say specifically right. what they're doing. Um, but I, it's just, it's a, you know, it's, it's all, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of gears. There's a lot of, you Fear know, your scenes, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the word I was looking for, but I'm <laughs> I was up till 5am. Herps fall down. With that. <laughs> well, yeah. And that, yeah, exactly. They're not, um, they're not mammals. They're not birds. You know, I, I had talked to a guy at the state one time. I was like, Hey man, I'd like to see if we can get like a, you know, they do the, the save wildlife license plates. I was like, Hey man, like, could we do like an alligator snapping turtle license plate? And he's like, well, while you and I would think that's cool. He's like, nobody else is going to want it. And so like, you know, the ideas kind of get, kind of get snuffed right away. And, you know, cause the, the sad part about herps is, is like, you know, the average person maybe doesn't want, you know, uh, uh, the, you know, the gaping jaws of an alligator snapping turtle on the back of their, you know, Toyota Sienna minivan. I'm about to get that PA Hellbender license plate. That, yeah. dude, that's really sick. I would, dude, I would do it. They don't have one. I'm just hoping. Oh. So. It's <laughs> a think... state amphibian, damn it. We should have a GoFundMe. Yeah. Make your own. Make counterfeit license plates. Make front plates. <laughs> that sounds Side like a good profit. idea. Yeah, yeah, Hellbender on the front. It just says, suck it, PA. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people would like that. I feel like uh, something I got to ask you is, as a herper, is there anywhere where in the world that you would like to herp that you haven't yet? You love that question. Um, uh, South America sounds fun. I'd like to check out the Amazon. And I'd like, I'd love to see like, you know, all the South American river turtles, um, Central American river turtles. Uh, I would say I would, first, before I do any of that, I'd like to go back to Asia. Um, I'd like to do more herping there. I was kind of, because at the time I was there for my wedding and kind of traveling and all that stuff, I, I wanted to I wanted to break away and go look for snakes and all that stuff. And I didn't really get a chance to. So the, the times when I looked for turtles, it was a little bit easier because I, I know how to look for like water turtles and I know how to find, you know, like land-based turtles when they're moving. But, you know, the snakes over there, I didn't really other than having some reticulated pythons and knowing they were there, you know, that was, that was kind of it. Um, so I'd like to go back there and do like maybe a two weeks solid of nothing but herping and looking for snakes, looking for different monitors, um, turtles. Uh, the cool thing is when you, you get over there and I remember we we're at um, the, the little villa that we were staying at on this Island and the frogs that were calling sounded crazy. Like it was just like the weirdest call. And um, like that, that, that was like one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, they would be completely different. And so like just that, I mean, I could probably go find what to somebody over there is the most boring thing and think it's so cool just because I've never seen it. So I'd like to first go back there and do that right. And then maybe work on like uh, Central or South America, which I feel like every herper's already done. <laughs> yeah, well, like, H is a little bit farther. Yeah. Um, as far I had a question, but I kind of forgot. But I'm going to get back to it. Um, North American species. I mean, is there anywhere 
even say in Georgia, like something that eludes you? Mm, yeah, uh, uh, bog turtles. I've gone looking for them. I've, I've gone to places where I know they're at. I've seen their little footprints in the mud. I went there to try and shoot a photo of one one time. And um, I, I, like I said, I just saw footprints. And so I've never seen those. Um, I'm going to try and get with a guy that, that works for the state that, that has a program for them and see if I can uh, go to one of his sites when he goes and radio tracks them and shoot some photos of them. Um, I've never seen a live diamondback terrapin in Georgia. I've never seen a wild one. I've seen them run over, but never seen a live one. And I think that's it. So, I mean, as far as Georgia stuff, uh, North American, I'd love to see a wood turtle in the wild. That would probably be pretty epic. I know you guys are wood turtles. Exactly. What's their habitat and range? Uh, they like woodland streams. So if you can find some woodlands with some deciduous trees and like a rocky, cool stream flowing through it and you're within range, then theoretically, if they're there, they should be there. Um, but I, like I said, I've never, I've never actually been up there and been with somebody in the know, you know, cause that's like one thing with turtles is you can, you can kind of read all you want, but until you actually have somebody to maybe nudge you in the right direction or show you a couple things you may never find them hmm. um, they're they're surprisingly good at hiding and they're surprisingly a lot of turtles are kind of picky about where they hang out or you'll get into places where there's pockets so you can have a river and you can have one section that has a hundred barbers map turtles basking you can go around the bend in that river habitat looks exactly the same and not see any but they like that one spot so is it very often that species are rather separated in the wild? Uh, separate? You mean like 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 a fragmented range? No, like from each other. Like, are you less often to see, you know, three species oh. in the same place? Or, um, for an example, a guy texted me about today. Um, a guy was looking for striped mud turtles, and he was looking in this one creek. So this one section of the creek, the striped mud turtle replaces the loggerhead musk turtle because the ground is, the bottom is like a sticky kind of mucky clay. And it's not as much like gravel and rock. And so in that, that sticky mucky area, it's also a floodplain. So you'll have the striped mud turtles hang out there. But then you go a mile or two downstream and it becomes rocky and swift and all that. And then now the loggerheads are there, but then the mud turtles aren't there. So you get like habitat specialists and they, um, if they're filling the same niche, then a lot of times they won't overlap. So, yeah, that's, I don't know. That just seems so, um, uh, particular and cool the way that obviously like stream bottom can change and then you have a you know different yeah. turtle inhabitant. well and you won't you won't find common snappers where you find an abundance of alligator snappers though they, they don't they don't they don't get along uh, alligator snappers will eat common snappers and do they do they have any type of like territorial behaviors um commons are a lot more territorial with each other um you know, may, like there's, if you look on YouTube, there's tons of videos of common snappers fighting. And I mean, you can go in the spring and fall and you can see them doing it. Um, so males like to try and control an area and any female that comes in there is, is that males. And if another male shows up, they're going to fight. 
alligator snappers seem to kind of not necessarily be social, but be as close to social as a turtle can get. Um, back in May, on two nights in a row, uh, I went with one uh, group of friends and we found three adult alligator snappers all feeding together. And it was like two males and a female and like all next to each other. Like we found one and the other one was next to it and next to it. Um, and then I went back with my, with Noah actually. And we went and we, we caught four or five that night. And it was like, we would find one and then find another and then wow. I went upstream and then I went upstream and there was actually two ma two extra males, but you can only carry 100 pound turtle at a time. So I came walking back and I was like, Hey, I found another one. And so like, during breeding season they get really tolerant of each other and you'll find them clustered up in groups and when an area is really good for feeding they'll all go and and eat in the same area um and then you know like now when it's dried they've all kind of spread out and you won't really see them again um not like that probably until next spring uh, but they do tolerate each other a lot more than common snappers do uh loggerhead musks and a lot of the musk turtles you'll find them in pretty good densities. Um, they might bicker a little bit, but that's pretty common. And then, you know, your cooters and sliders, a lot of times if you go to a river somewhere, you'll see them lined up on a log and, you know, they all seem to get along. And James Lewis in the chat asks, what's your biggest common snapper that you've ever found and what's your biggest alligator snapper? Biggest common. Um, the hard thing with the biggest common is like, I caught one when I was a kid, like I was like 13 or 14 and it just seemed like the biggest thing ever. <laughs> um, the only, I, I had like the, no, the, like the really crappy cell phone, you know, where it like flipped and it took yes. like, it looked like a watercolor painting. The quality was so bad. <laughs> I just remember the only thing I had was my hand and the common snapper's foot was as big as my hand. Um, and then there was uh, a snapper shell. What's that? And there was a musket ball lodged in his shell. Yeah, yeah, that old. Yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. People talk about that all the time, but I've never actually seen a photo or evidence of it. But right. um, I caught a Florida snapper one year that was probably, if it, if it wasn't the one in Kentucky, it would be this Florida snapper. This alligator snapper is, um, there's some photos on my Instagram of me with a really big yellow one. And he's probably in the neighborhood of 100 pounds. Um, they get bigger than that, but that's pretty rare. I mean, people talk about 100-pounders, and zoos always talk about how theirs weigh 150 or 175, but natural weight in the wild is most males, 80 to 100 pounds is pretty normal. Anything above that is is a real monster, and there's very few of those. Is there any, like, actual danger involved with, say, like a large alligator snapper luring with his mouth open? Um. So I used to say that that's not going to happen. And then one time I was trying to, I, I was in a shallow area and I could see that one had gone up under a log. And so I used to just reach up under logs and grab them just because I knew they were in there because normally they just kind of go in and park. And what I didn't know was this guy had turned around and was facing out luring. And I just, I mean, like literally as quick as I reached under there, it was just like, bang. It was like, it was like a firecracker went off on my finger. Mm. It bit me and I yanked my hand back and he just went flying off. And I have, I literally still have a scar on this finger where he popped me. And, you know, the, the jaws on those young ones are 
the hook is real sharp and then the edges, I mean, they're like little razor blades for cutting fish up. And, um, I mean, pop me and he was, he was luring, but I mean, that was, I basically went down the list of everything not to do if you don't want to get bit and I did it. So that was on me. Um, in reality, you're not going to walk through a Creek and step in the mouth of a adult alligator snapper luring. It's not going to happen. Um, by the time you get near them, they're going to either move away or they, they're real shy in the water. They'll kind of like tuck their head and they don't really want anything to do with you. Um, even the most aggressive ones, when you get in the water with them, their mouth closes up and they get calm and you know, you can touch them and stuff. Yeah. So Greg, we've talked about, uh, hookers counting turtles. You missed that one. Yeah. <laughs> and all the other cool turtle stuff. Uh, thanks for being our turtle podcast. We're now, uh, yeah, thanks guys. And, uh, if anyone wants to get in contact with you or check out social media, where can they find you? Uh, Greg's Turtle Haven on Instagram and Greg's Turtle Haven on YouTube. I just started the YouTube channel, so I'm trying to grow it. Um, so if you want to watch turtle videos, if you want to watch me find turtles in the wild or learn how to take care of what you have, then follow me on YouTube, Greg's Turtle Haven. Sweet. And then you're also Dead Snake Greg as well on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to get on Instagram and see videos of weird looking people in traffic, um, see me make fun of people. Uh, say weird shit than um, dead snake underscore Greg on Instagram. Sweet. As also, for us. If people want to reach out to us, Instagram, Port City Pythons, Facebook, Port City Pythons, YouTube, Port City Pythons, portcitypythons.com, uh, the Port City Pythons at Gmail. If you Baltimore, want to email us. Maryland. Uh, yes. In six days, if I am still alive and awake, um, we will be in Baltimore. Greg heard all last night. He didn't. He didn't even sleep last night. Yeah, but that was here. fun and by choice. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my exhaustion is not my choice. Noah made me do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, what am I saying? Shoot, but we'll be in Baltimore, Maryland, Repticon just on Saturday. So if you're in that area, come check us yeah, out. Yeah, it's a two-day show, but we will only be there on Saturday. So if you want to see us. Uh, only Saturday. We'll there yep. will be. There we wow, will be. great. That's one great. way to say it. Thank you yes. guys so much for hanging out with us. Uh, thank you to Greg, and we will catch you guys later.